What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 13 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Today, we have a very, very special guest, a man dear and dear close to my heart, 2013 Brookdale National Champion, Brian Adams. Brian, what's going on, brother? I'm good. Thanks for having me today, man. No problem, big dog. It's been a long time coming. We've been talking about basketball for, you know, pretty much looking at, you know, almost 10 years now since since that uh, fateful season. Don't remind me how old we're getting. It's insane. It was pretty, it, it literally feels like it was yesterday. I feel like we still talk about it and like that all of a sudden just how everything aligned and just somehow it turned out to be a ragtag group of national champs. It's fucking insane. It's, it's one of those experiences that is just so rare. I'm sure at this point in my life, uh, the people around me are probably sick of me talking about it. <laughs> I feel that. I mean, it's like, I mean, for, for those that don't know, uh, we won a national championship back in 2013. I was the token white boy. Uh, I was uh, deemed academically ineligible. So I, uh, I stuck my ass to the sidelines, played on the blue squad, and just hung around for good times and good memories. And it was, it was fun as hell. The boys were amazing. We finished up with a 33-1 and record and took it home. And it was an incredible experience, something that I'll never forget. You know, still that championship ring around here in this house somewhere. Um, but it was amazing. You know, that, that got me to fall back in love with basketball. Now that we got the podcast going and, you know, now that I'm getting a lot more invested into it again, uh, I kind of like I'm starting to fall back into it and kind of fall back into that rhythm of like what it was like, you know, being in the gym, being in the practice facility, just, just being in the locker room. And I think like, that's like why I really want to enjoy this. It's like, just like, it reminds me of that locker room talk. It's like playing 2k and just like fucking around. One of our coaches, he used to always tell us this, man, he used to always say, you guys need to enjoy this time while you have it. He's like, you'll never have a, a moment like this again in your lives. He said, uh, you're lucky even to be in this gym right now. He's like, less mm -hmm. than 1% of players from high school even play college any level. You know, mm -hmm. uh, what I could say is we made the most out of that opportunity. We enjoyed every second of playing ball. Um, I think that was some advice that we definitely took uh, mm -hmm. extremely seriously in that moment. And I think that's what brought us to the, to the chip, honestly. I mean... We just had a love for the game. I don't know how it happened. I think you play that. You play the whole season over a hundred different times, and I don't think we win. But I think that it definitely it worked out in our favor. It was amazing, and just like all those different times, me, you, Ricky, Corey, Duran, the Blue Squad, everyone just being where they needed to be at the right time, and just from Corey's you know game winning shot in, in the Final Four to yeah. Joe coming back and putting 20 in the second half to, you know, lead us, win us by six. Like, it's just like those kind of things you can't write. Like no. to be a part of that is, is some, you know, I still have the the piece of netting framed up. Uh, it's just like, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a movie. It was a movie. Literally a, a D3 junior college movie, but a movie nonetheless. A movie nonetheless. Yeah. Well, but that's something too, that um, I always like to highlight to people. I'm like, um, you know, it's, it, it could sound so easy to try to downplay, you know, it was a junior college, it was Division yeah. three. But what they don't realize is that, you know, when you make it to that level, I mean, regardless of, um, you know, regardless of what the level is, like when you make it to that height, getting to a national tournament and winning a national championship, those are just some of the best, you know, players in the country, period. Mm -hmm. You know, Um those guys, yeah, maybe if they go to a higher level school, they might not get the minutes that they would get, you know, at the Division Three. But I have a good feeling they make the squad. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, just like, especially the talent-wise, like, I still stand by it to this day. Like, Joe Nickerson 
is one of the best basketball players I've ever been around, just talent-wise. I mean, what he was able to do with the basketball, have the ball on a string, and I got to be his kryptonite for a little bit. So that was pretty <laughs> dope. That was a good that was a good feeling. I mean, Neil Thompson, All-American, like Amir, and just just damn good players who went D3, D2, some went D1 after college, like who went pro overseas. Yep. Like it's just it was an incredible group of guys and to see them, you know, succeed at the next level and, you know, still playing ball, still falling in love. It's just like, it's dope that we still get to like shoot the shit and like chop shop about it. Yeah. Uh, looking back on it, you know, after all these years um, and I talk about this a lot now too, I feel like it was just kind of an honor to be able to play with those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, basketball was not something that I thought was going to be, you know, in the cards for me at all to play in college. Um, I remember as a junior, um, literally in my room, uh, talking to a friend, like crying on the phone, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be able to play in college. You know, mm. I'm not at that level. Um, I started playing when, um, I, my first organized team was when I was in, uh, high school, freshman year of high school. So I, you know, I had no experience. Um, so it was just an honor to be able to play with, you know, guys who are at that caliber and at that level and to be able to, you know, make the team and kind of progress with them. You know, it's something I always take with me, and uh, I take it with me in my life now, too. You know, you can make things happen. We made it happen, man. I mean, it's just, it's fun. It's exciting. And it was definitely, like, legitimately, like, the memories. Just thinking about, like, you know, going to New York, you know, going to that the, the Elite Eight and just kind of making it all and, like, game by game by game. Just, like, what it was like. Like, just, you can't you can't make it up. And I'm just, I'm very, I'm very happy and proud to be able to, like, say I was part of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were the first ones to do it, too. Now, you know they're talking. They're talking crazy now because, you know, those guys, uh, and, and shout out to them. Um, I, I want to say it's Jameek, right? Jameek Moore, I think. Mm-hmm. They, they're the ones, they, uh, they hung the banner for the undefeated season. Yep. Good for them. Good for them. But we did it first. We did it first. We did it with eight. Ray J did it first. Don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so man. We, we got to hop into it, man. I mean, we were talking, and you, when I called you and said that, you know, who did you want to talk about on the pod? What was your thing? You didn't even hesitate. You said Lakers. You said Lakers through and through. So is that the team? Is that one of your favorite teams? Is that really what you want to hop on? Like, what players have you really been watching this season? And, like, why the Lakers? Okay. Uh, to start with why the Lakers, um, it's kind of hard to watch what's going on with the Lakers right now. Um, just to be honest with you, you know, just as a, a basketball fan and, you know, someone who understands the game and knows the history of the game, you know, as well, uh, that the Lakers, they're a dynasty team. Everybody knows that, you know, um, and to see what's going on with them right now and the way that they're, you know, fundamentally falling apart is very hard to watch, um, which is why it's kind of interesting for me to, you know, kind of dive into this today because, you know, you're used to Lakers being that, that team that you got to watch out for when they're on the schedule. Not like that now. No, I mean, it's it's not. I mean, you look at the Lakers right now. So Lakers are currently eighth in the West. They're 22 and 23. Uh, just came off a game where Russell Westbrook um, got benched by Frank Vogel. And I mean, to really start this off, like I feel like the entire team goes through like the Westbrook decision, like the entire offseason. Everything starts and kind of ends with the Westbrook decision because like as a Cavaliers fan, like I've watched LeBron James for a very long time. Like I know the success that it takes to be around LeBron. Like LeBron can elevate even at 37 years old, can elevate any team around him as long as he has shooting and defense. That is, that has been the success. He's taken guys like Delonte West, Sasha Pavlovich, 
like Drew Gooden, just trash players, like and dragged them to NBA Finals. So why all of a sudden do you trade two shooters and a off the bench scorer to bring in a Russell Westbrook type all you know all star player? They did it for a name, and I just don't understand that. It doesn't make sense. Uh, that was really my main point. Um, I don't understand that either. It you know it does not make sense to have a Russell Westbrook on that team. Um, mm. In in my opinion, Russell Westbrook, he's the type of player who has to have his own team where he has the ball in his hands at all times. Um, there's just guys like that. We've played with guys like that. You know, they're only they're only effective. You know, the more touches they have on that ball. I don't know if it's a confidence thing. You know, I don't know if it's just you know just part of their game. I can't explain it, but some guys are just like that. LeBron, who's a pass first player, and you know, understandably you know, one of the greatest minds to ever play the game, you know, it just doesn't make sense to have somebody like Westbrook on a team, but, you know, uh, with LeBron like that, it doesn't make sense. And um, yeah, it's hard to watch, man. I, I really, what really makes me more um, frustrated about the whole thing is how he's handling it. His attitude is horrible. He's never been a defensive player. And I get that. Like when you, when I feel like when you reach an MVP level, like you definitely have that ego, like that swagger will always be there. And now you think that you're being brought in and you're, you still think you're that guy, but you're number three in the pecking order. Like you are behind LeBron James and you were behind Anthony Davis and you were brought in with the idea of, okay, Westbrook, you know, LeBron and AD they have injury history. LeBron's getting older. We got to manage his body in his minutes. Russell Westbrook is supposed to carry them through the regular season as like this, this like minute horse of, you know, 36, 37, 38 minutes a game. And like, you know, to be able to be him and maximize him. But when they're on the court together, I mean, he looks like a complete loss of a player. I mean, their, their maximum lineup right now has been Russell Westbrook, Malik Monk, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and some combination of THT or Carmelo Anthony. How on earth, as a basketball fan, as somebody that has played the game, how can you look at that lineup and say they compete with even the Utah Jazz, the Suns, the Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies, the way they're playing? Like, how do they even remotely make it out of as a conversation out of the first round? So, unfortunately, um, this is all going to fall back on the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's which not is fair. insane. Yeah, it's not fair. This is all going to end up falling back on the coach. Um, it's unfortunate. I think another major problem um, is that I think that there's in this, you know, a common term, there's just way too many hands in the cookie jar in the Lakers organization. And this is one of the big, and I love LeBron, right? Uh, You know, I have so much respect for the guy. I remember when I was just a little kid, maybe nine or 10, I was, you know, I wanted to be like him when he got into the league at 18. Uh, But as he's progressed, man, and he's become, you know, larger than the sport really, uh, he's had a little bit too much power on the teams that he's been on. Whereas, like, he's not just the the star player of the team. He's, you know, the coach as well, you know? And he's the decision maker of, like, you know, who's who's staying on the team, who's leaving, you know, who's going, who's, who's coming. And um, I just don't think that that's a good position for a player to be in. Um, and I think that that kind of contributes a lot to what the um, – some of the decisions that have been made, you know, um, as far as, you know, what players have been traded into the organization and ultimately, you know, the result right now, it's just, you know, atrocious. 
It definitely does. And I, I like that point because everyone's always made, you know, you see the memes of like, you know, if you play one bad game, LeBron's like looking at you, like getting ready to get traded. So like, there's definitely, <laughs> there's definitely that like a lore of it, but to play devil's advocate to that, like has LeBron really ever been this wrong? Like looking back to even like 2007 LeBron, when he carried that team with, uh, I think it was, I don't, I don't even, uh, Mike Brown was the coach and then carried those Cavaliers teams and look at what he did when he wasn't involved. He was playing with scrubs like Mo Williams. He was getting like the corpse of Shaq and Antoine Jameson, like his Larry Hughes. Like he didn't have stars until he finally took like his career into his own hands and said, I'm out of here. I'm going to Miami. And then you saw like coach LeBron come in and he won. He he was able to do what he wanted to do. He played with Bosh. He played with Wade. He had guys like Mike Miller and all these guys that like fit around him because he knew his skill set and he knew he could do whatever he wanted. Then when he went back, went back to Cleveland, you know, they brought in David Blatt. That shit didn't work out. They sent David Blatt packing after what half a season. And he picked Ty Lue. They won a chip. You know, they then they went to two more NBA finals together and he knew Kyrie wanted to get out. They traded Kyrie and kind of a counterpoint to that is like, Really, the this was really the first time in LeBron's entire career that he's really fucked up as like the coach GM to a certain extent. And I do want to give him a pass just because it's like, well, he really hasn't messed it up that bad. But when you look at it on paper, it's like, fuck, that's bad, man. Like what he did, because because especially especially with the emergence of Kuzma, bro, like Kuzma is playing like he did in his, I would say, second year when he was averaging 19 and eight. He didn't have a jump shot. He still really kind of doesn't. He's really been very clutch in those clutch moments of, you know, hitting the game-winning three against um, the Pistons and then flipping off the entire courtside team, doing it against the Jazz, uh, doing it against the Cavaliers. Like, he's been very clutch, dunking on Joel Embiid. He's been able to kind of, like, step into his own and, and step into that number two role, which I'm sure the Lakers would absolutely adore to split him in between AD and LeBron right now. But you get rid of KCP who won a championship with you, 3 and D. Montrez Harrell, I know he wasn't amazing, but you're telling me you wouldn't want to have him over DeAndre Jordan? Like, I, I just don't see where all those mistakes, and then the final one was that, they're, honestly, probably the tipping point for them was getting rid of Al Caruso and keeping Taylor and Hut, Taylor, TH2. And I just I, don't... I do agree with that, too. I agree with that. You What, what an improvement, though, um, Al Caruso. What a story that kid is. Wow. I mean, he was, he turned from meme to, oh shit, we got to watch out for this guy. Yeah. He, he I mean, a, you, you put in, there. You don't even I was about to say, <laughs> yeah, you could put an argument out there that, that Caruso is arguably a top five perimeter defender in the league from a guard perspective. Oh, yeah. I mean, you put him out there with Lonzo Ball. I mean, that, that's a big reason of that Bulls turnaround of, I mean, when Caruso went out, their defense plummeted. Their defense plummeted, and he's a great spot-up shooter. He's a career 37% three-point shooter, which is fantastic for what he's been able to do, you know, coming from Texas A&M, undrafted, steps into the G League, finds a role. He is a dumb athlete. Like, people look at him, you know, balding on the head and just, like, not really looking like an athlete. Bro, he's very athletic. He's got like almost a 40-inch vertical. Like him and Pat Connaughton of the Bucks are just like these springy white guys, just like, holy shit. Yeah, it's 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 the way that he looks where people get this perception that oh he's trash. You yeah. Know? Um, no, he's he's unbelievable. He's he's very skilled. He's very athletic. And man, is he tough? 
he's super tough. Um, there was a point I wanted to get back to that you made that I liked. Um, and it was about LeBron, about, you know, the kind of the faux pas that he's made, um, you know, with this, the arrangement of this team. One of the biggest things I'm seeing about this that, you know, really didn't make sense to me was, um, and this is how I know that this kind of had to have been a little bit more of LeBron forcing the, forcing the hand, you know, mm-hmm. the Lakers organization is that, you know, for one of the first times that I can see, like in a team's history where they're, you know, uh, didn't have like an established star in, until LeBron came in, right? Obviously, because yeah. Kobe was on his way out the league. Um, it was the first time that I've seen that they went a direction. Okay, we're gonna get, we're gonna bring in seasoned veterans, older players, opposed to younger players that are gonna build around this veteran, right? That can show them the ropes and teach them what it takes to be a champion it didn't really make sense to me because it was like, well, you already got these guys who have been there and done that. And they're, they're kind of, you know, the league's changing, you know, these, the guys that we used to know and love are almost on their way out the door. Um, Why do you bring in an older squad and, you know, kind of leave off these younger guys who are developing and what are you going to do for your future at that point? So what do they do? What do the Lakers do when LeBron leaves? That's the thing. So that was one thing. It's a dumpster fire. Right, right. So it's just like, you know, if you're a Lakers fan, you don't have much to look forward to right now. You're frustrated now because your team is tanking and then you didn't build for the future at all. You you traded your future for, you know, old players. It doesn't really make sense. So um, that was that's probably one of the most um, – I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, show LeBron too much, but it, it just wasn't a good decision. You know, just... no. I mean, there was a master, like master plan somewhere along the lines, and it was just it was a massive miss. And I think he fell in love with the past. And I think that you see how much the game has changed since he won in Miami, and even the, how much the game has changed in five years, almost six years since he won in 2016. Because you look at his teams. They, he was playing with veterans like J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, and then even back in Miami playing with guys like Mike Miller and guys that knew their role and knew that he was able to trust them. And I think he fell in love with that idea of like the Trevor Arizas and bringing those guys in, like even some scrub like Avery Bradley, like bringing those guys in, DeAndre Jordan, maybe not necessarily championship level guys, but guys that knew the NBA has been around the block and stuff that he just – he didn't have to. Sh- they all are here for one goal. Or maybe young guys are here for a paycheck, or maybe here for a next contract. I think that was kind of where his mind has gone. I don't want to necessarily speak for him, nor that I don't think he cares what I have to say. But it's more of I think that's kind of the mindset of. I think he fell in love with the past. He fell in love with what worked in Miami, and fell in love with what worked in Cleveland. But also in those two or three places, you had young, established stars around him. He had a Kyrie, and he had a Dwayne Wade. He had a Chris Bosh and he had a Kevin Love. Like Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis aren't to the level of Dwayne Wade and Kyrie, nor are they to the level of Chris Bosh or Kevin Love. Like, yes, in their own right, Anthony Davis was an all-NBA player for the Pelicans. Yes, in his own right, Russell Westbrook was an MVP for the Oklahoma City Thunder. But you put all three on the same team. There's only one ball. They, right. they all there. There's only one ball to be able to spread around. So when you have a, a Russell Westbrook player who's a career 31% three point shooter, you have Anthony Davis who 
probably had the best six months of his life playing at the end of 2020, moving into the bubble, and they won a chip. Yeah, He has never played like that. He never will play like that. So now you're dealing with an injury-hampered Anthony Davis while LeBron is expecting to hand this team off. And LeBron's playing some of the best basketball of his life at 37 years old. Almost 29 points, almost eight boards, seven assists, a career high in threes, a career high in three-point percentage. What the fuck does he have to do? He's out here banking on Malik Monk to drop 20 a game? What are we doing here? And we're going to sit here and look and say this is Frank Vogel's fault? That he's over here calling the Banana Boat reunion tour and bringing on Carmelo Anthony for 30 minutes a game? There's no way. Craziness. Yeah, craziness. This this saved, um, you know, this saved Melo's career. <laughs> he, should have been, he, he should have been out the door. Like, he was on the bench for the Trailblazers. Yeah. For the Trailblazers. Exactly. Doing nothing. End right there. Just... Um, you make a great point, though. Le- LeBron was looking at what worked for him in the past, and, you know, he kind of figured that that formula was going to work today. But we're learning, man, that this game is changing every season. Every season. So, yeah, it- it's not It's not a good uh, – thought it wasn't a good decision on LeBron's part. I feel bad for Frank. Uh, he's going to get the boot. Um, but – that's just the way that the league goes. We'll we'll see um, what, how the rest of the season kind of plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, my thing is, and this isn't going to happen, but I want to see what happens if they, you know, if Westbrook just gets less minutes. Does it? I, change, I mean, does it really change the game? I mean, how much is it going to change the game for them? No, I, I mean, I that toxic for that team. I it's. I think culture is a massive part of it. And, like, not saying Russell Westbrook's a bad guy. I think he's so loved by a lot of players in the NBA. But role plays such a factor. And I want to kind of hanker it to – I'm going to compare it to Kevin Love in the sense of Cleveland. Like, look at how miserable Kevin Love was in Cleveland for the past three years when LeBron left of just playing losing basketball, being a crybaby, throwing the ball, throwing temper tantrums, not wanting to be a leader. And then he finally has a sit down with JB Bickerstaff. They get into a good rapport and JB looks at him and says, Hey, like, here's your role. We want you to be healthy. We're not going to overplay you 30, 35 minutes a game. We're going to play you 20 to 25. You're going to be an impact guy in this role. And you need to accept that. And he did. And look at what it's, what's happening. It's flourishing in Cleveland, but I Westbrook will never accept that. He never will. It's, 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 you've done it for 10 plus years at an MVP level. And now all of a sudden it's like, Hey, we're going to move you to the bench, trade him. I think that with February 10th coming up, that trade deadline's coming up real, real quick. You're looking at a Lakers team that has almost negative assets. You're, you're talking Taylor Horton Tucker, an injured Kendrick Nunn, and a 2027 first round pick is the first first rounder that you can actually trade. What do you if you're if you're the GM, well, Ryan, saying, the what do you what do you get saying. in return? What do you get yep. in return for that? This is exactly what I'm saying. This is this is the problem when you trade your future. You know, mm-hmm. you can no longer build. Um, they're going to struggle for a long time. It's a bad time to be a Lakers fan. I feel sorry to say that, you know, to all the Lakers fans out there. I apologize. But you 
you guys are in for a long, long drought. It's gonna, it's gonna suck being a Lakers fan. Just is what it is. It's crazy because, like, looking at last season when they lost to the Suns and they had the injuries, to AD, LeBron really wasn't healthy. Like, it just it didn't mesh. Like, just they didn't finish well, and just everything across the board just didn't look right. And I think there was a massive overreact to how they finished the season. And they went into the offseason. LeBron kind of like pressed a reset button. I mean, the only players still on the team from last year are LeBron, THT, and Anthony Davis. Yep. That's it. There's not a single player still on that roster besides those three. And what do you, what do you, like, that's a college kind of lineup. Like, that's like a Kentucky like return of like, yeah, we're bringing on a couple walk ons <laughs> and like a return sophomore who didn't get enough playing time. Like, you can't win a championship expecting that kind of turnover. It just it doesn't happen. Nope. No. No. There's no yeah. way. No, not at all. Yeah, no, you really need to build on teams in the NBA. You know, there's just too much talent, you know, and there's guys that have been playing together for years and understand, you know, <laughs> what it takes to play at that level to win, you know, to win the 100%. They go to the finals. So, no, it's different. Um, man, I, I don't know what they can even do at this point. I think it's just going to take some years of rebuilding, and I think that this is not going to happen until, you know, LeBron's done. So because the NBA is such like a, what have you done for me lately? And like, what can you do for me now? You know, today, as of January 21st, you know, you're looking at Rob Palenka in the eyes. What do you do to potentially fix the Lakers right now? Because their future shot, like, like you said, they have no assets. They have no young players. They're putting THT on a pedestal to act like he's like a miniature Ben Simmons when he's like barely a role player. Like, what do you, what are you potentially doing to make this, is this a championship roster? Like, or can you make a move to make this a run for 2020, 2022? Can you do that? Is that possible? You could try. <laughs> that's why I want to, that's why, you know, the only thing I can really think of right now is let's see how things go. If you bench Westbrook, mm -hmm. how does the dynamic change on that team? You know, uh, sure, he's going to have – I mean, and the problem with that is, you know, he's very vocal about, you know, his, um, you know, frustrations. And, you know, th that puts a damper on a team. Um, it's really not fair. But that's the one thing I really, really don't like about him. Um, you know, again, a player that I like, and I don't want to shit on him too much. It's just that um, I, I just think that that's what will happen if they do end up benching him, though I think that's the right decision. You know, like immediate action, that could be the one thing, and they can kind of see where the pieces fall from there. What the, you know, how they can play with the lineups from there. But yeah, I think that would be a really first, uh, a really good first action for them. My my counter to that is, if you bench him, who do you start? Like like do you like do you bring in like Austin Reeves and like is that the answer? Like is is starting Avery Bradley for twenty five minutes a game the answer? Like no way. Yeah, it, it it's it's not much better. It's barren. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's not much better. Um, but I guess the thing is, you know, do those guys get better in that time? Mm -hmm. You know, those guys learn, they get more experience, they get more burn. Or, you know, do you take that chance or do you just take the chance? Of, I mean, I just really feel like Westbrook is doing harm to the team. <laughs> I couldn't agree more, and I think that I'm going to throw something out here because it just went out um, this afternoon from Mark Stein. 
that uh, they're fielding trade offers for Russ. And like, there's very few players that you can even like remotely trade him for because of how insane his contract is making over $40 million. Um, there was a test out there saying that one team willing to take him be as long as they attach an asset to it uh, is the Rockets. And if you are sitting in the Lakers seat, would you offer Westbrook in that 2027 unprotected first to bring in a player like a John Wall? And even better, would you add in a player like a THT to entice the Rockets to maybe throw in a player like an Eric Gordon on an expiring contract, a veteran shooting guard? And then if you really are feeling scrappy and throwing Kendrick Nine just for some safety deals, he hasn't played in a minute. So if you can somehow turn Westbrook an unprotected first, which is literally as we just talked about, that 2027 first is going to be literally gold. The Lakers are going to be dog shit for four to five years. That first round pick is going to be gold. So that's an asset. They're not getting anything from John Wall. So getting anything from Westbrook for them is going to be better. And then you throw in THT. And if you can get John Wall and Eric Gordon and pair them together, now you're looking at John Wall, Eric Gordon, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and if you want to incorporate some form of Malik Monk for shooting, some form of Carmelo Anthony for shooting, bring in Dwight Howard for defense, that to me breathes so much more life to the city of Los Angeles. It breathes so much more life to LeBron and the team and just everything because now you have a guy like John Wall who just wants to play basketball. That's all he wants to do. He'll play 20 minutes. He'll play 25 minutes. He just wants to play, and there's no way in hell he can be worse than what Westbrook's doing. There's just no way. Well, what I will say is, that the, I mean, the attitude on John Wall, exactly what you need for the Lakers squad, you know? He, he's bringing the vibe, the vibe and the energy that you need on that team right now. Um, mm-hmm. You could just see them deflate in games, you know, um, when they're down and when they're losing. It's just, it's not good, you know? Um, they, they do definitely need some, you know, a fresh look on that team. Um, as far as, yeah, that trade, I'm trying to think about that, that, that does sound extremely good. Um, but it just feels like it's just one of those kind of putting a Band-Aid on the situation. Oh, 100%. That's a, that's a very much short-term 2022 only, and then we move on in the future. Because there, there is no fixing the future. There is no fixing later. Because all these contracts are expiring in the next year. The only players you have under contract are LeBron and Anthony Davis, and as of right now, Russell Westbrook and THT, and it's like, clearly that four doesn't work. So what the yeah. hell are you going to do next year? You're going to do the same thing? That's the problem. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I said it just kind of feels like a band-aid because it's like, well, where do you go from there, you know? Um, I think that they're going to have to ride this shit wave out, you know, four to five years. That's so bad. Oh, my suck God, that's so bad. You know? I, I hate to write them off, but it just, you know, it just doesn't seem foreseeable. As soon as you, I mean, I kind of wrote them off as soon as I started seeing all the all the young talent go. It was just, yeah, that <laughs> this isn't making sense. Something's just not adding up with this. And um, yeah, well, four to five years. Sorry, Lakers fans. Sucks. Sucks to be you right now. It's gonna be. It's gonna. It's gonna hurt. It's yeah. gonna hurt. I can't, I can't talk too much. You know, I'm. I like the Knicks. I'm sorry <laughs> so, to hear that. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna grab a beer. Cheers yeah. to the Lakers fans. Uh, one thing, uh, Brian, give me a quick prediction. 2021-2022 um, season as a wrap-up. Lakers, um, what's their finishing season? Are we talking play-in tournament? 
uh, first round exit, second round exit, Western Conference Finals, NBA Finals. Like, where do you see this Lakers team finishing? Like, where does their run end? The first round, man. I'm right there. First round. You know what it is? It's different come playoff time, too, you know? Like, that's when you really got to dig deep as a team. That team cohesion really comes into play. Because you see teams pull it together, you know, teams that have, like, you know, chemistry and teams that have, you know, um, just just that right – just that right energy to to pull off a win. You know, the Lakers just – they don't have anything going for them right now, you know? I agree, man. I mean, I think it's – Not there. You know, they're not gelling together, and it's just, you know (laughs) – Outside of LeBron, you know, I'm definitely, I'm definitely in agreement with the first round exit. Um, the like real pessimist in me is like saying, if if Kawhi and Paul George like come back, if Jamal Murray and Michael Porter come back, if the Blazers make a trade and they go on a run, like who says the Lakers aren't like a play in tournament team? And I like that's even worse. But there's no way because they're not going to be a top four seed. They're not going to be a top five seed. They're, they'll be they'll be lucky and thanking God Himself to be a top six seed. But there's not a matchup in the top four that I like that I see the Lakers winning any matchup. They don't beat the Jazz. They don't beat the Suns. They don't beat the Warriors, and they sure as hell don't beat the Grizzlies. Like it's just any those, four those of those teams, the, the, the you know one of two teams that they're going to play. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. They're going to play Suns, they're going to play Warriors, and it's just that is just not going to end well for them whatsoever. No. So uh, we are very sorry for the city of Los Angeles. Um, you are slowly turning into a Clippers, Clippers city. Just, just slowly, just for now. You have the history. Take it. Enjoy it. You have the statues. You got the banners. Rock it out. Just, just know, know it. And, you know, all the legends. Just know it, it's, it's going to hurt for a little bit, and it's yeah. okay. It's okay. But that's it. I'm sorry. Listen, over here on the East Coast, you know, us Knicks and Nets, we've been feeling that for years. So it's what it is. We'll tip our cap. <laughs> uh, now, you know, one thing you really touched on, uh, kind of moving forward to what you want to talk about, you have been really watching a lot of the young guys. You've been watching a lot of the young players stepping up into the league, whether it's a rookie, second year, third year guy. Uh, you've really been kind of focusing on them. And I kind of love, love that same aspect. I just did a last podcast of covering um, the top five or in the bottom five of, you know, this past rate class. And one thing I really want to talk to you about is, you know, where are your rankings of starting a franchise? So, you know, we're going to talk about uh, youth guys. Um, so Brian and I ranked our top five, starting from five to one of players from this year's draft and last year's draft of where you would want to build a franchise around. So it's not just, you know, where they're at now. We're talking strictly potential, how we see them going. You know, what have they shown us? You know, not everything has to be about the statistics right now because, you know, this player is obviously not going to be where he is. You know, where do we see them in the future? Um, so, Brian, toss me out your number five. And you know, who, who are you picking to start off in your five? So I, I made this pretty fun because uh, I, I kind of um, – I'm kind of looking at this like a, like some fantasy, you know – like this guy, you know, these these five players, they're going to be the guy. They're the new LeBron, they're the new KD, you know, they're the new, well, you name it, right? So okay. uh, my first guy I got on this list is actually uh, Chris Duarte. Chris Duarte, Pacers yeah. boy. Okay, so what? 
Okay. So actually, so throw it out there. So give me your, give me your whole five from five to one and I, and, I, and we'll, we'll break it down. All right. Let's see what I got here. Chris Duante, he's going to be number five. Okay. Uh, and it's a tough list for me because these guys are talented. Um, I'm going to have Jalen Green. He's going to be four. Okay. I'm going to go, and people might not like this, but Evan Mobley is going to be number three. Okay. Um, I'll put Franz, Franz Wagner above him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At number two. We love we love controversy. Yeah. I'm going to put Scotty Barnes number one. Scotty Barnes number one. Okay. Um, you've gone completely off the rails, my friend. I mean, I am I am very excited for this. I think that yeah, so I want to make it fun. So I kept it all the first year guys just yeah. because I was like, you know, this is some fantasy shit right here. These are the new guys, the new LeBron, new KD. You know, <laughs> let's see what happens. I like it. I like it. Uh so for me. I went kind of a mix of this year and last year. Uh, number five, I went Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, number four, I went Cade Cunningham. Uh, number three, I went Anthony Edwards. Oh, yeah. Number Anthony. two, I went with your boy, LaMelo Ball. You know, I like LaMelo. And number one, I'm going with my boy, Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley. So walk me through. So, I mean, you kind of you kind of left off a lot of those sophomore players. So what have you seen from this rookie class that's that you're really prioritizing over these second year players? Um, I won't say I'm prioritizing them over over. I just thought it'd be a little fun uh, to kind of see them uh, just because just because it's, it's fresh right now. Right. You know, these are new guys, um, fresh picks. But um, no, Chris Duarte, what I liked about him, he just got to me. He's got a natural feel to the game, natural scoring ability. Um, mm. And I like the way he creates shots. Um, I think that just, yeah, his feel for the game just feels so natural. I can see him progressing real well. No, I mean, the thing about Duarte is I think he obviously has an instant impact. I mean, his age definitely plays a big factor in that. He's 24, a 24-year-old yeah. rookie. Like, you you don't have time to develop. Like, dog, you're 24. Like, you better come right. in and, and, and be a factor. And I think he stepped up. Like, you, that, that can help with the uh, uh, just you know, mentally. You're just a little bit stronger, a little bit tougher when you get a little bit, you know, with, with age. That can really help you in the league. 100%, man. I mean, uh, for a player like Duarte, like, I do see them trading a player like Karis LeVert in order to, you know, let Chris Duarte shine. You know, I can see him yeah. playing in a backcourt with Malcolm Brogdon long-term. And that could be something that they could build off of. Like Indiana doesn't have a lot to really be happy about, but Duarte, he's shown some great shooting abilities. And while he's only shooting about 35, 36%, like he, he's got a stroke, man. I mean, there's something about him, like very similar to like how I compare it to Cade, like Cade Cunningham has just come out and he's shooting. He's not really shooting well. He's only shooting 32%, but there's something about the smoothness to his game. You know what I mean? Very smooth. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It just they got a natural feel for the game, man. Uh just very natural scoring from what I see. I like I like I like this gameplay, man. Things mm -hmm. tough. I like um, it. Number four, who you got? Jalen, Jalen Green. Yeah. So uh athleticism. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it is huge for this game. It's huge for this game. He's got it. He's got that thing. Athletic, athletic, athletically, he's got that thing. Um, super aggressive, which I like. Um, 
decent shooting, and you know, uh, I just I, I see a big upside to this guy. He can jump out the gym, bro. I mean, he in just everything. I think it was definitely cool to see him play in the G League. I wish we could have seen him play a little bit more. Obviously, COVID played a big factor in that, but yeah. he's definitely he's been to me as advertised of. He has no fear. And I think that you I look at him and Anthony Edwards on so they're so similar of six foot five, long, athletic. And there's nothing to me that doesn't say that Jalen Green can't be a 20 plus score in this league for 10 years. Because he just Mm -hmm. he has something about him of he will look at anybody, whether it's Draymond guarding him, whether it's a player like Caruso, a player like Jimmy Butler, and he will go at you for 48 minutes and there's nothing that's going to turn him down. And I think that's going to be such, that's such an, like an alpha dog mentality and Jalen green plays with that streak. And hopefully he doesn't lose that. Cause I think that's what, that's what made Russell Westbrook so successful was that mentality of like, none's going to stop me. And if he can keep that, I think that he, I think four might be a little bit too low, but I mean, he's got it. Mm-hmm. No, no, he, he definitely does. Um, that's the one thing I really noticed about him that stands out. You know, the guy's confident, and um, that's what makes him so aggressive out there. Man, he's tough. You know, he's just fearless. He's a very confident player. Um, it's going to take him far, so we'll see what happens. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with this guy. Yeah. Um, thing, yeah, he could shoot way up on this list, so um, we'll see what happens with him. Interesting, very interesting. So for Jalen Green, just just a quick quick hype on him real quick. Do you think that him and, and KPJ can can work long term, or do you think that he needs to play with more of like a traditional point guard, like a Ricky Rubio type? Tough to say, man. I mean, he's uh, he seems like somebody who's he could fit within multiple systems. He's not just like a you know a one system type of player. Uh, I think he's fine. Yeah, I, I I think it'll work out. It's fine. I like it. Yeah. Number three, you got my boy. You got Evan Mobley. What happened? Evan Mobley. I so, I, I know. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna catch so much heat for this, but it, it was a, it's a tough decision between. But anyway, but with Evan Mobley, obviously, you know the natural scoring is very good. Um, playmaking ability is beautiful. Um, plays D. He's fucking defense, you know. Oh, he's <laughs> turned the entire Cavaliers <laughs> team around. He's he's yes. he's guarding Trey Young on the perimeter and like keeping up yeah. with him. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. He plays fucking D. I mean, yeah, and 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 the fifty percent shooting helps. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I think he's great. You know. Um, I guess my question is, I I just don't know how long he can keep up with it. I don't know something about it. I, I'm just not sure. You know. He's skinny, bro. He's skinny. He's only 210. Yeah, you know, I just don't know. It, it To me, it just almost feels like his game's, like, almost complete. I could just be – I could be way wrong. You know, he's a rookie. You know, who fucking knows? But I feel like, you know, I feel like this is – I feel like he's kind of close to his ceiling. And that's kind of how I made um, these decisions. I was just kind of based off their potential. You know? mm-hmm. Like, how much further can they go with their games? And I don't know. I mean, he's, he's very good. <laughs> So for, for a player, when I see Evan Mobley, like the first person I immediately thought of was Anthony Davis. I mean, coming out of Kentucky, like what's, the, what's that picture of Anthony Davis? You think goggles, long, <laughs> gangly arms, like a uh, buck 90 soaking wet Anthony Davis. And he comes out and he gets injured like the entire first three seasons. He's just, he's played yeah. 60, 61, 65 games and he was just there. But bro, the second he put on weight, I mean, 
28 points, 12 boards, three blocks. I mean, Anthony Davis did whatever, whenever he wanted. Like, that was it. And, I and like, when I see Evan Mobley, like, when he's shooting those turnaround jumpers, when he's shooting from the elbow, when he's making alley-oops to Jared Allen, like, I look at him and I think, like, what can't he do? No, it's true. I mean, especially after, you know, the injury, and he, you know, he turned it around. It's it's insane. <laughs> I'm telling. I'm gonna catch a lot of heat for this one, but um, I, I say he gets better. You know, over the years, I just don't know if I don't know. I think the other guys might pass him. These guys, but I mean, you got you got Franz Wagner ahead of him, so you better think Franz Wagner's gonna be a goddamn Hall of Famer. So I, I need to hear this. Okay, this is my reasoning for it, man. Go ahead. Uh, these European players are different, man. They are different. They're tough. Mm -hmm. And this guy spent time playing in the Euro League, and it just seems like every single time these guys come out the Euro League, they are just uh, just a different caliber. Um, Luca has described the Euro League saying, you know, he's had an easier time scoring in the NBA just because the defense is just not up to par. Um, I believe him. I do. You can see it in his game. It's crazy, and you can see it. In, you can see it in Wagner's game too. I mean, the guy. He's extremely efficient. I mean, he's a great playmaker. Uh, he's huge. He's fucking huge. What is he, like 6'11", almost 7 feet? He's, he's, he's pretty, pretty damn big, especially for a wing player. I mean, he, I, think he's, I think he's about 6'10", but still, I mean, look at it like this. So, like, for Franz, like, I, I, I'm going to help you out with little Franz. Like, I look at it like this. He got drafted at 8, and I think people looked at him as more of, like, a role player glue guy kind of thing because of that. He, he was in Europe before, but then he went to college. So we had to fit that like American system of that mindset. Like, all right, go like he they were in the final four, bro. Like they were oh, like he was a pushing. He was a problem. Like he was, he was, he was an absolute like he was one jump shot away from moving on to the natty and beating Baylor. Like, I don't think people understand that. And I think when he got to the NBA, it's kind of like that switch click, bro. Like he got here and he was playing with a guy like Cole Anthony stepped it up. Jalen Suggs, who I'm not high on, has really not had a good season. Mo Bamba's getting some more playing time. Randall Carter's getting more playing time. And Franz Wagner has able to just been him. And you see he's averaging 15 points, five boards, four assists, shooting pretty decent. And yeah. he's only going to get better. Like, do you not see him as, like, that 20-point scorer, just so smooth, low-key athletic? He can, he, that's the kind of guy that can fit in any system, bro. He talk, you want to talk about ISO, pick and roll, spread, high, low. He can do anything. That's what I mean, and this is why I put him above Evan Mobley. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the, the thing with him, um, you know, and I, I guess this is neither here nor there, right, to some people, but do you understand how difficult it is to score 38 against the defending, you know, the defending champs? <laughs> it's not, not easy. <laughs> you know, do you understand how difficult that is? And then, oh, wait, let's add something to that. He's a rookie. Come on now. This is crazy. Um, yeah, I, I had to put him above Evan Mobley. It wasn't a, a super easy decision. Uh, I, like I said, I'm going to catch heat for it. Whatever. Yeah. But this guy, I think he's something special. I think his ceiling's higher. That's that's what I see. I think his ceiling is just much higher. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. I think for for me, the, the main reason for putting Mobley higher is the defense. And I think that when you look at all these teams, every team that's won a championship over the past, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, 
they've all had elite defenses, every single one. And while, yes, they've all had also elite offensive players, I get that. You look at their overall team defenses, like that you need somebody who's going to get a stop when 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 push comes to shove. And give me Evan Mobley, this seven-foot, you know, gangly, switchable player who can guard one through five. And maybe if this is his ceiling for his offensive game, if he's a, you know, 16.9 board, four assist guy of like, but he's going to anchor my defense. I'm going to take that over Franz, who maybe his peak is like a 25 point per game player, but he's not going to be like as efficient on defense. I think I'm going to lean a little bit more toward Mobley. Well, I think you're kind of leading a little more to that offense. Because, dude, I mean, I was watching that game when he was playing the Bucks, bro. He, I mean, Giannis guarding him, Chris Milton guarding him, Drew Holiday guarding him. He, he had an, he had a counter. I, I haven't seen Europeans with that kind of like that handle like that because it wasn't even like a Luca because Luca's a little bit more bulky. I think he's a little bit more stocky and he can throw his weight around. Franz was so smooth and being able to do step back, fade away jump shots from the elbow, but also stretching it out to three against, like you said, the NBA champs like that. That's, that's not, that's a, that's a walking bucket. It's a walking bucket. He's special. He really is special. Listen, I hear your point in the defense, um, but I could take one liability on defense for four guys who, who can pick up the slack form for a player who's that special. I get you. I feel it. I feel it. You know, he's he's something. Yeah, he's special. So, um, yeah, man, we'll see what happens for him. Future's bright. Future's good yep. for that guy. And you're gonna have. I mean, you're gonna have the whole city of Toronto buzzing. Scotty Barnes. You got Scotty Barnes number one. What is this man yeah. was? This man was yeah. what people called a reach at number four, you know, didn't really start in college. He was six man of the year, you know, kind of yeah. worked his way off draft boards. And all of a sudden, like, you know, what's the fit look like playing next to OG? What's it look like next to Pascal? Kyle Lowry's gone. People thought that Jalen Suggs was the perfect fit next to him, kind of step right in. And then Scotty Barnes looks like, well, Scotty Barnes doing everything as advertised. Great playmaking, great defense, shooting a little bit, getting to the rack, like, Yep. You know, Scotty Barnes, I mean, if you if you think if you got friends here and then you got Scotty Barnes ahead of that, like walk me through that. Um, okay. The the thing with Scotty Barnes, he's he's a monster defensively. That's one thing. You know, he's tough. Um I think that for what he does, his game, he I think for what he does, he keeps his game pretty simple. Mm. <laughs> and uh to me that shows a, a player not only who's highly skilled, but you know, has a very high IQ as well. Yeah. Um, and that that's a good formula. I mean, you know, players with high IQ, they go far. Um, I, I just think that his ceiling is very high just because of that. I, I always like to see a guy who's, you know, making a huge impact, but he's not really, you know, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, it's a pretty simple game. Mm-hmm. Big impact, simple game, but... You know, that means there's so much more to build off of. And as his game becomes, you know, starts to open up, become more complex, this guy's going to be a fucking problem. I mean, I, no. yeah, I see huge things for this guy. So basically, this number one pick is based off purely the potential. Yeah, I mean, I think Franz, Franz and Mobley have definitely shown more than Scotty has. But when I look at Scotty, I think a more offensively inclined Draymond Green. And maybe not 
to the Draymond Green defensive level, just because Draymond Green, you know, you look at Draymond as like arguably a top five defensive player of all time. So obviously you don't want to throw that on a player like Scotty Barnes to say like, oh yeah, like go match that. But Draymond doesn't score. Draymond, like you said, plays such a simple game. You know, he'll, he can get you 10 points. He can get you 10 boards. He can get you 10 assists. Whatever you want, he'll do it. And I think Scotty Barnes is that kind of player. I think that he can fit whatever that night needs. He's going to do it. And he's going to do it at an elite level. If you want him to go get 20, he'll get you 20. You want him to get you 10 boards, he'll get you 10 boards. And the same thing with the assists of a playmaking style. You saw him running running point guard in the summer league. Yeah, yeah, and that was the point it, I didn't like, bring up. I, meant to, I, I did meant to mention his, his playmaking is unbelievable. But again, this goes back to what I was saying. His IQ is there, man. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. so interesting because people, people kind of expected like, all right, well, why not draft Suggs to replace Kyle Lowry? They kind of did by bringing in Scotty Barnes of that secondary playmaking. You know, Pascal Siakam took on a little bit more responsibility. OG Ananubi, it was kind of like it was it was a playmaking by committee. You saw OG step up. Gary Trent is now that spot down shooter. You see how what what Fred Van Vliet's been able to do this season as a step up. He looks like a goddamn all star. So like that Raptors team overall, you have building blocks there. You got Scotty, you got Pascal, you got Fred Van Vliet. I mean, if you look at OG as a building block, he's there. I think teams are going to fall in love with him, even if the Toronto Raptors don't decide to keep him and they want to trade him. Gary Trent's a great trade piece. You got guys like Precious Achua. Like, Scotty Barnes, if he can end up being that Draymond type, I mean, what, what who's to say the Toronto Raptors don't become, like, a low-key, like, Eastern Conference Finals team consistently? It's a great... Um model for the uh 2027 lakers to follow you know facts bro it's it's they're building through systems they're building through a plan they're not stressing out and saying okay we're losing kyle lowry we're losing even when they when they won the championship they lost Kawhi. think about it they didn't lose their mind they lose their mindset they stuck to their guns that we have a plan it may not work now but we're not going to kill ourselves trying to you know make this guy happy for one more season and he dips. Like, if he wants to leave, he's going to leave. Like, it is what it is. So I think they definitely have that mindset. And, you know, sorry, Lakers, but, you know, yeah, take some, yeah. Take some notes. Yeah, we're, we're just going to, you know, continue to take a dump on the Lakers just because of that. Finally, after all these years. It's got to happen. <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk through mine a little bit. All right, let's do uh, it. So we, I, got, I got a lot of sophomores on this list. Um, starting off with Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I think Tyrese has taken – slowly starting to take those keys away from De'Aaron Fox and it's making Fox expendable. I mean, you see Fox getting trade rumors, you know, kind of getting linked to Demonis Sabonis in Indiana and Fox's playmaking has been tremendous and his shooting. That man's got a jump shot, like a low key Sean Marion and he's shooting 43% from three at almost six attempts. Like, bro, that's an insane percentage he has a three to one assist turnover ratio. Like he is running this team. And yes, they're a dumpster fire of a franchise. I get that. But he can he can run your team exactly how you want. He's six foot five. He's long. He's got a great IQ. And he's learned so much in just that first to second year. He stepped up as a scorer a little bit. And if he keeps doing that, you could see this guy being a franchise point guard. And maybe he's not like a perennial all-star, but I'm thinking like like that Kyle Lowry type of a three-time, four-time all-star, kind of like in that realm. Maybe he's not a Hall of Famer, but this guy is going to give me a franchise point guard for a very long time. Sounds good. No, I, I do agree. 
I, I think he's a pretty good player too. You kind and of then, I kind of uh, went with some of these uh, second year guys too, but uh, it's all good. <laughs> no, listen, man, listen, is what it is. And then uh, you you didn't throw this guy in here, Cade Cunningham, bro. Oh yeah, Cade Cunningham. Uh, I, I I he's he was on my honorable mention for sure. Cade Cunningham, I mean, first overall pick. He has passed a lot of the eye test. Stat-wise, he has been very off, but the Pistons are the worst team in the NBA up there with the Orlando Magic. So he has to do so, so much. And I think that he's not like a Franz type where Franz is still kind of playing within his role. They're giving Cade the ball and just saying like, whatever happens, happens, bro. Just like go do your thing. And while that's a good thing for, you know, confidence type, you could potentially pick up a lot of bad habits. I mean, if you give me the ball 56 times in a game, I'm going to turn the ball over a lot. <laughs> we- well, it's, it's part of the reason why I couldn't even put him on my list, really, uh, because I, I can't really give him a fair ranking based off the situation the dude's in. Mm-hmm. Kind of sucks. Um, you know, but he's, he's very talented, though. He's, he's 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 got a chance to move up this list because I think uh, you look at him. I mean, his body type six foot eight, two twenty five. He's got a smooth. Yeah. He's got a smooth jump shot, and I think that kind of like kind of like how you talked about how Franz played against the Bucks. I look at how when Cade went for twenty eight eight and eight against the Nets, and how he went toe to toe with KD. Those moments get me so excited for what the next couple of years are going to look like with Cade. Because yeah. if you surround him with the right environment and you build through the draft and, like, Sadiq Bey looks like a keeper next to him, a power forward, Jeremy Grant's going to get traded, fine, good riddance, whatever. Like, if they can bring in, like, a strong power forward or a playmaking point guard next to him, he's going to be able to thrive and be he, – he has perennial all-star written all over him. And I think that yeah, in a couple I, of years. Um, what's, what's unique about him is that um, – uh, his his handles at his size, I've never seen that because you know normally somebody at with handles like that man they're they're a much smaller guy they're you know six two six three, um, what'd you say six eight six eight man at that size with the weight that he has the ball in a string that is so difficult to deal with so that's a very unique thing I haven't really seen that honestly I can't think of too many players like that you know the last time I saw a player like that. Um, but you expect so much, Ben Simmons. True. Ben Simmons. But the difference, but here's the key difference between Cade and Ben. Cade will not stop until he gets better. He will shoot threes. He will shoot mid-range. He'll attack the basket. He will go get his because he knows what he needs to do. Ben won't do it. Ben will not shoot threes. He will not shoot mid-range. He will play with whatever he wants to do and whatever his mental game allows him to do in that situation. And that's that's what's going to allow Cade to step up above Ben. You said it right there, his mental game. Yeah, that that's that's where it hurts Ben. Ben hurts Ben. Ben hurts Ben. Yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little stray at Ben. Sorry, bud. Yeah, sorry. No, he kind of pissed me off this season, though, you know. Um I hate to see those young guys kind of throw away their career like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think he's putting a bad taste just, you know, on his name <laughs> at such an early, you know, stage in his career. And the dude's got so much potential. He's so talented. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he's hurting himself. Yeah, I know, man. I mean, it's hopefully sad. he figures it out. 
They got some trade rumors. Maybe they cut ties to the trade deadline in the offseason, whatever it is, but it's not working out. Get them out of there so we can just be done with this circus. The thing is, like, but if you, being being unhappy, fine. You know, you could be unhappy, but don't, I mean, you're hurting your own game too. Now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not making any money. He's getting awesome. fined. He's getting fined left and right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Don't hurt your bank account either, stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> got to tell me. And then number three. Uh, very similar to your Jalen Green pick. Um, I think Anthony Edwards and Jalen Green kind of go hand in hand in the situation. Just Edwards is just one year older. Yeah. I think that what Edwards has been able to do and step up as a vocal leader in uh, Minnesota so early on, you know, I think it, I think he, I think Jimmy Butler crawled so Anthony Edwards can run, you know, mm-hmm. with Jimmy Butler throwing that tantrum and doing that whole. I don't want to say charade, but like just Jimmy being Jimmy in Minnesota, just saying like calling Cat out, calling Thibodeau out and saying like, you need to work harder. You don't work hard enough. Like you want to win, do it. We got to win. And Anthony Edwards, you saw in the press conference, it's like, he's like, Cat doesn't attack the ball enough. He goes, he needs to do it. If he doesn't do it, we don't win. Simple as that. And I think the way he went about it was a little bit more mature to a certain extent. And like, it's, it's kind of weird to say that about a second year pro, but for a guy that's out here averaging 23 points, in his second year, like this no, dude I, I could go off. His his maturity um, in the game is that is very unique at his um, with his experience level. It's very unique. You know, uh, he does kind of give you that vibe. He's a veteran. He's only two years old. It's, it's crazy. It's yeah, absolutely it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. And then number two, I mean, highlight reel after highlight reel. This dude is on every every Instagram. He's on Facebook, on the Ball Brothers. I mean, this man, LaMelo yep. Ball, is yep. he, he's a showstopper, man. And I think it's not yep. just – it's not flashy. It's everything in between. He's averaging close to 20 points a game, eight boards, yep. eight assists. He has stepped up a little bit on the defensive end. He's not – he's kind of like an average defender, but he's got, he's got great size. He's six foot seven, like 205. And he's got a little bit of an awkward jump shot, but confidence just – will never stop through the roof and he is a he's a superstar and i think that i can happily say that i don't necessarily know if he's going to be an also this year i think that you're going to it's going to come down between like guys like him darius garland and fred van vliet and i just think that those two have been a little bit better this year efficiency wise as well as how their teams have played i think cleveland getting into the top four top five seeds as well as toronto and how they've bounced back while the hornets have kind of tailored off i think that's going to get them above but you're looking at you're looking at bona fide superstar in Lamella Ball for a very long time. Yes, you are, man, and you said it perfect. He's not just flash, you know. I think you can get very distracted by the glitz and the glamour that uh. comes. In. This kid is he's good. Seriously, he he will help you win games. It's not just all flash. And that team, I I like that team too. You know, uh, that Charlotte team. Definitely, they have grown on me. Um, they're, they're a team that did it right with super young guys, you know, and they, they did it right. Um, but yeah, no, he's you know, if I, if I didn't just go first year uh, players, yeah, Mellow Pilot would have been number two on my list as well. I mean, he's you know, um, unbelievable human highlight reel, love it. <laughs> he gives you everything. He gives you everything you need from a team building perspective 
from an offense perspective. And I think that if he can get a little bit stronger, and I think if he honestly like looks at his brother and looks at what Lonzo has been able to do on the defensive end of like how he, from his IQ level, I think Lonzo's IQ is through the roof. And I think that he doesn't get enough credit for that because he's kind of stepped more into that like role player role of, I know what I need to do. I want to win. And Lonzo's going to give you, you know, 13 points, seven assists and five boards and just play all NBA level defense. I think that fits him more while LaMelo's, maybe going to be a little bit more of that superstar role while maybe I think he needs, I think honestly what, how this team fits a little bit better. I think Terry Rogier will eventually see himself on the way out or will step into that six man role because he's just a little bit too small to play next to Lamelo. I think Lamelo needs more of a, a defensive stopper because he can create so much offense. You have guys like Miles Bridges, you have guys like Gordon Hayward. And I think that even, even with a shitty center like Mason Plumlee, if they can bring in a guy like like Miles Turner, to like really anchor that defense, you're going to see LaMelo flourish. Like look at what Darius Garland's been able to do offensively this season, knowing he doesn't have to really honestly worry about defense with Mobley and Jared Allen behind him. Oh, to that point, and shout out to you for, uh, you know, this is a good year to be a cash fan, isn't it? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, man, it's a good time. I've been trying to, I've been trying to bottle. Those guys look good. I've been trying to bottle my feelings. I've been bottling my feelings so hard. I was going to say, I'm surprised you've been humble about it, man. You know those guys are looking good. I think think because as a Cavaliers fan, like I started watching the Cavs back in 2002. The very first NBA game I ever went to uh, was a Nets-Cavs game. And I saw the Nets who were, at the time, going to -to back-to-back NBA finals. Uh, The Jason Kidds, Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin, Kerry Kittles. So we're going there for the Nets game. And we go there, and I see like this big seven-foot-three white guys I drew to Solgowskis and I'm just like in awe and then I see you know Ricky Davis taking warm-ups and I don't know if Rick Davis was nine years old and I'm just like I'm, I'm like in awe of these players and I didn't care about the final score I'm pretty sure the Nets won by like 30 you know the Cavaliers finished with the worst record in the NBA end up getting the number one overall pick and draft LeBron and I just I just fell in love with the team I don't know why I have no there's no rhyme or reason. I'm, I'm a kid that lives in the suburbs of New Jersey. I have no reason to love a team in Northeast Ohio for Cleveland, besides the fact that I just love the Cleveland Cavaliers. I always have. And I think that for always having LeBron on the team, it's kind of like hindered the ability to like be a real fan and watching growth because just when you thought you were going to get it with like the Kyrie, Deion Waiters, Tristan Thompson era of like, okay, Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, like, okay, we have like all this youth. Then LeBron comes in and then trades Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, you know, Deion Waiters gets traded and we won a championship. So I'm very, I'm very happy about that. I'm not, you know, I'm not spoiled. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. I appreciate you, LeBron. But now it's like LeBron's gone. He's not coming back. So we can't just like sit in our laurels and say like, oh, he's going to come back. Like we have to build through the draft. And I think Kobe Altman has done an incredible job building this team. J.B. Bakerstaff has done an incredible job coaching the team. And you look at it like Colin Sexton has been injured the entire season and look at where we are. Like that's a trade piece right there. You know, you have Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Isaac Okoro, and even he's starting three fucking seven footers. Who this is this is the small ball NBA, and you're gonna tell me you're gonna start three seven footers? The balls on JB Bakerstaff. Let's fucking go, JB. Give that man an extension. He's here till 2027, 2028, when the Lakers are gonna be bottom of the league and we're gonna be three-time NBA champions. Fucking put it in the books, boys. This this is just a good day to show the Lakers, isn't it? It's a good day. It's a great day. 
Lakers get no love today. It's I'm, a great I'm day. I love it. And then oh, obviously my, my number one is Evan Mobley. Lakers uh take take notes on Cavaliers as well, please. Take notes like, in Cleveland, Northeast yeah. Ohio. We're here. Yeah. <laughs> but Evan Mobley number your number one? Evan Mobley's number one. You know, I, I can't really say anything else that's already been said. I think that his two way game, you know, just streaks of Anthony Davis, if he stays healthy, puts on more weight. I think that you're looking at a potential MVP candidate for a very long time. I think defense player of the year is going to be on his roster for years to come. I think that he has all the potential in the world to max out everything. I think that he can do anything that he really wants to do. And you can't say that about a lot of players at his size, at his age, that you're going to look at him at 25, 26, and he may have all the accolades that, you know, every NBA player dreams of. And especially on this young Cavaliers team, that's only going to get better he's going to be a major part of that playing with Darius Garland playing with Jared Allen and that trio is going to be three potential all-stars for a long long time and and it's just a great time to be a Cavalier fan it's a great time to be Evan Mobley and it's a really bad time to be a Laker really bad time to be a Laker let me just say oh yeah. god uh, I think that's a fair assessment man um yeah I think you know I hope the best for Evan Mobley, you know, just based on the way he's playing, you know, as mm-hmm. of recently, especially this month, uh, in mm-hmm. January. So, yeah. Um, though I don't agree with the number one, <laughs> I, I, I understand. I we understand. respect it. We respect it. And that's what's here. So we're here. That's the great part about – Yeah. That's the great part about basketball is that there are so many different opinions, and that's really what we're trying to what we're trying to build over here at Courtside Views. That we're trying to build that community side. We're trying to build that, you know, whether it's on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, whatever it is. Like, give us your opinions. Let us know what you want to hear. Let us know what what if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying the clips, if you want to talk about a certain thing, if you want to see a certain video. Like, we want to build some kind of community out here to let people voice their opinions about basketball because. There are so many different opinions. You know, I may think Jalen Suggs is, you know, a top five bust. Some other player may think he's like, you know, God's gift to earth. Like, talk about it. Let people know. And I think that's what's definitely what we're trying to build here at Courtside Views. And I'm very excited to see what uh, what it comes out of it. 100%. So, Brian, I think that pretty much pretty much wraps it up, man. I mean, I'm just super excited to be able to have you on. Is there anything you want to shout out on the pod? Uh, you know. I'm going to shout out my, my Instagram that I no longer post on. Um, so, you know, uh, link, link will be in the bio. <laughs> um, yeah, no, nah, man. I mean, thanks for having me on. I guess the only thing I can really shout out, um, you know, uh, I guess as a, you know, as an agent, you know, if, if anybody's looking for houses, I'm your guy. I'm hey, your real estate agent extraordinaire. We love it. Extraordinaire. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here to help everybody out now. It's tough times for people looking for houses because of, you know, the market and with COVID and everything, and, you know, anything we can do to, you know, make things easier for you. I'm here. So it's been crazy, bro. Yeah. You're hustling, man. You're hustling. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me though. This is a great time. Um, you don't get to talk basketball uh, a lot these days, you know, at least I don't, um, you know, between between you know crazy life of work and everything so mm-hmm. uh felt real good man to get out here and just be able to talk uh so thank you for having me i appreciate it absolutely man and listen that wraps it up for episode 13 of courts i've used brian again it's always a pleasure my man 
one of the best teammates I ever had, one of the best guys I ever been able to play basketball with on and off the court, slaying in the bars and just chilling out, being good people. So we will see you guys next time. Be sure to check us out, like I said, on all forms of social media, as well as Spotify. We will see you guys next time.